0: Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it is a win almost Wednesday. David, I want to know why the hell there is a strike through in my notes. The preseason is here, and we have the injuries to prove it. And with me this week, to run down his top five punter debuts, it's David Newman. Damn it, that's it. I'm leaving. <laughs> it's over. This is what you get for strike throughing my intro. It's not Wednesday. It's not Wednesday. But you know what? This it's normally the, it's supposed to be Wednesday. For the first time in, in a while, actually, I think listeners will actually be listening to this on, Wednesday, on Wednesday. So it is a win mean, Wednesday for them. That's fair. I'm just, you know what? I had some empathy this episode. I put myself in the listener's shoes, and you ruined it. How do you? I feel mean, you about could have that? read whatever you wanted to. I, <laughs>
1: not Ron Burgundy over
0: there. <laughs> You don't have to read whatever's on the prompter. You have no idea how close uh, me being Neuron Bergen is actually true. Uh, but let's get to uh, let's get to the preseason game because we have game action. We have real things, and even though this is just a glorified scrimmage, I still talk mad shit to all the Cowboys fans that I knew. <laughs> like I've got two, oh, I've got great. two yeah. responses for, for preseason. Sure. Right, if anyone comes at me with anyone like, "Oh, you guys lost Wild but lights," I send them immediately. Allen Iverson GIF. We talking about practice. <laughs> And it shuts it down real quick because it's like, dude, you're sitting here and you're gloating about B teams rubbing up against each other and trying to pretend to play football. Like, no, but if we win, oh, man, you got to believe I'm throwing all the shade. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun because I've got family members who are Cowboys fans.
1: Even when it's, you know, only the bottom 60 players of your 90-man roster <laughs> that have a chance of, of suiting up, you know, Golly. still got to talk that shit.
0: My goodness. So let's get to the, for those that are uninitiated to our preseason structure, let's walk you through it. So we're going to walk through some takeaways that we had, kind of the bigger things that we're watching over the course of the preseason and the preseason games. We're going to bring you an arrow up, arrow down section, which is where we talk about the players that help or hurt their roster stock, and we're going to try to stick to players on the bubble or players that aren't assured a roster spot, but really that those bottom of the roster players that are or can make an impact or help themselves and, and get onto the team over the course of the preseason. And then this year, because we've got some rookies that we want to keep an eye on, we're going to go through a quick little first watch segment where we're going to review just the rookie players specifically because sometimes they don't do enough to get on that arrow up or arrow down area, but... There's still performances that we want to watch. So, David, let's take it away. Let's talk about the first takeaway, and it has everything to do with the quarterback battle because it was more of the Mullins-Bethard show. Uh, and if you listen to Shanahan, he says they didn't really do anything to separate from one another. Uh, was that kind of the case in this game? I don't think it's too far
1: off. Um I, I, I think at the very least I would give a, a slight edge to Mullen, but I could definitely see like how he would come away and say that it wasn't definitive enough to to be like, yeah, okay, he's clearly um, you know, taken a step forward ahead of Bathard based on just what happened in this one game alone. Right. I think the case right now is is obviously over a much larger sample and in, in what they did last year and everything, but Um, yeah, I think we, we kind of saw, um, pretty similar things from both of them, obviously being preseason, um, we're sticking pretty basic on concepts, you know, pretty basic coverages that they're getting. So, uh, both guys kind of able to, to get the ball out to their first look quite a bit. And, and that definitely helps matters. Um, but yeah, overall, I think we've seen kind of similar stuff in this game to what we've seen from them when we watch them in larger samples, right?
0: And that's kind of where I landed at the end of this game is to me, it was more of the same that there wasn't anything that differed from last season. And I think at the end of last season, in my mind, Mullins ended up ahead of CJ Bethard. And so to me, you had a lot of the similar things that you had at the end of last season in this game. Uh, Nick Mullins was a more accurate thrower in this game. Uh, I think that he, he did have some areas where you know, he didn't have the most accurate ball. Even the first pass of the game to Richie James wasn't the best throw in the whole wide world. But on the whole, he was a bit more accurate. And, and I think that his processing is also a little faster. When he was blitzed against the Dallas Cowboys, uh, he averaged over 10 yards per attempt. Like he's, he's not like, as fast of a processor as the elite fast processors in the NFL. Sure. But that's how he makes up for his kind of noodle arm. And, and that's, I think it's a good skill. And especially in a Shanahan offense, it's a skill that has kind of propelled him to do as well as he has.
1: Right. And I think the, the accuracy is something that does separate him from Beathard. You know, we were talking kind of before the show and putting everything together, talked about how, like with the three quarterbacks that they have in the roster, it's, it's like three distinct tiers of accuracy that they have. Like you have Garoppolo who, when he's on is among the more accurate passers in, in the league. Um, Mullins is, is definitely not that, but he is, uh, in kind of this middle tier of accuracy and that he usually gets the ball into a decent enough place that it's catchable, right? It, it may not always be the most ideal spot, you know, to, to help encourage more yards after the catch and allow the receiver to kind of run in stride and make it, but he's at least giving them opportunities to make plays most of the time. And then you have Bethard, who is, is kind of uh, a little bit more wild and, and just has too many passes, uh, that that just are way off the mark and don't give the receiver a chance at all. And so I think that was kind of the case here. Again, Mullins, from an accuracy standpoint, definitely wasn't perfect. There, there were a few plays where uh, if that ball location was a little bit better, the play you mentioned to the first one of the game to Richie James, it was ended up being a little bit high as he's trying to get it over the linebacker there. Um, there was another one that comes to mind from uh, the, the catch that Jordan Matthews had over the middle where he's got a step of separation man coverage they're playing. So if if this is a good ball that allows him to catch this in stride, there's some chance uh, for some pretty big yak on, on that play because there's not a lot of guys on the defense that are kind of closing in and, and able to help and make that tackle right away. So, but the ball ends up kind of being a little bit low down by his knees and takes him to the ground. So he has throws like that. Um, and I think the other area that you would notice, like the accuracy that isn't exactly where you want it, and this was something that absolutely showed up with him last year is he does struggle a bit on the move? Um, just, just for whatever reason, is is far more comfortable when he can be stationary in the pocket. Um, definitely doesn't have that same level of like touch and, and just tends to leave balls uh, kind of behind or just again like uh, on the the outside edges of the catch radius for um, for the receivers he, on those. He's so. accurate adjacent. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think yeah, that was. Um, kind of the most encouraging thing overall though, from him compared to Bethard. Um, and then I, I think you, you saw them both kind of have a play that wasn't so great that kind of stuck out
0: as well. Yeah. So let's talk about the interceptions for a little bit, because I think after the game, you look at Shanahan's postgame comments and he was pretty explicit in saying they, they were both bad interceptions. And then it seems like on Mayo pod. That I listened to today. Mayoko said that he kind of put the CJ Bethard one a little bit more on Jalen Hurd and kind of walked that one a little bit back. But, but when you look at their interceptions, I think they they both had some elements where it was like, yeah, I can understand why they threw the ball. And also, man, that it still sucks that it was an, that it was an interception. Because you look at Mullins's interception, and you've got two tight ends to the left in the formation, and Dallas is playing a cover three. You've got two of the hook defenders in the middle of the field, and one of those hook defenders should really carry that linebacker, the third receiver on the inside, all the way up the field. And he doesn't, and he's able to kind of peel off and get into the area and intercept the ball. If Mullins holds the ball just a little bit longer and actually throws that tight end, he's going to have a pretty big gain in front of the safety, and that tight end's not going to be able to recover. So not only was it kind of like you should have kept the ball a little bit longer and thrown it somewhere else, but then the decision you do make um you kind of can pay a paid a double penalty on that one
1: right, so I think there there are kind of yeah a, an element of of forcing it in like I think you know and it's tough to say kind of definitively uh, of course, but I think there there is an area that he could theoretically put that ball right that, that that's a completion um so one it's it's compounded by the fact that he's getting hit. Uh, right as he's releasing the ball. And so that definitely alters the the trajectory of the ball, um, takes any sort of air on it, kind of like sends it on a more downward trajectory that goes right to the linebacker. So where he would need to put it in order for this to have a chance at it being successful is kind of more up and, and a little bit away from where that linebacker, that underneath linebacker is dropping to. And so when uh, when the the hit comes and it sends that ball down, it just takes any opportunity that that's going to happen. But even if you're just looking at it from a decision, like you mentioned, it's still kind of a questionable decision. So I, I think there was an opportunity for – Kind of a clear big play within his vision, kind of in his first read that he's looking at there. If he stays on that for a beat longer and is able to get a better read on the leverage of that linebacker and sees that he's not going to be in a position to cover this route, he can let that go and you're likely looking at a big game. But instead, he holds on to it, goes on to the next guy. That gives the rush time to get there, hits him as he gets it, and then and then you're taken. Uh, a ball that's not where he wants it to go anyway and send it into an area with two defenders.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to see the end zone angle of this play because you see the linebacker staring right at the tight end and you know that the tight end is going to break across his face. And when he does that, the linebacker is going to get turned around. You should be yeah. able to, as a quarterback, read that leverage and throw that person open. But instead, you end up with with an interception. Now, with C.J. Beathard, of course, he is his balls have a bit more zip on them. He's a little bit, uh, he's got a little bit more of an arm, but his accuracy suffers, and there were a couple of places where that got him in this game. Of course, that deep ball to Debo Samuel—it was a fantastic highlight reel catch but that shouldn't have even been a highlight reel catch because it should have been a touchdown. Yeah, If that ball is where it's supposed to be and up ahead of Debo Samuel, who has a step on his receiver, it was a gorgeous route by Debo Samuel. That's a touchdown. It's an easy six. Uh, and then you look at the, the out throw, which he sometimes some of Beathard's throws are just like, how did that even happen? It's almost like he's got the tiny hands that everyone thought Alex Smith had where the ball just Kareem's <laughs> off into this weird angle that you don't expect it to. And he had an out route over to the right side where it's just like the wide receiver kind of like stretches out and it one hops to him. And it was like, I don't, I don't even know why that happens.
1: Yeah, I, I think. And then, you know, you look at some of his, he, he just really kind of struggles if he gets any sort of pressure, right? Like he, I know there was like the whole thing when, when his, during his first season with him was like how well he stood in there and got the shit beat out of him essentially, and just took all these hits over and over again. Uh, and, and that's fine. Like, but he, he, if he's get, if he gets taken out of rhythm. So I think that's a good way to look at kind of quarterbacks and how they're affected by pressure. Cause not everybody's affected equally by pressure, right? Some guys are able to stay in there a little bit longer, stay mostly in rhythm, get into the throw as they would normally if they had a clean pocket And, and as a result, they're often, you know, a lot more accurate and just kind of better on those throws. Um, Bathard, you see him, I mean, if that pocket starts to break down a little bit and there's any signs, he just gets jittery back there. Uh, even one of his best, probably his best throw, uh, in this game, which was the one that he had up the left sideline to, I think it was Debo, right? Um, not the, not the highlight reel one that the Debo had on the jump ball, but, um, other one kind of up the left sideline, you see like on the right side of the offensive line, there's a there's a defender that's, like, kind of starting to break through, but if he just stays in there, like, that defender's not going to get there before he has a chance to, like, let this ball go. Like, he's going to have plenty of time to stand where he uh, is at the top of his drop and, like, get this ball out and be fine. Um, but he, like, gets kind of a hint of that and just starts fading away and, like, throwing it uh, as he's, like, falling backwards. And normally that, like, it worked out in this case, but that is not a throw that he has shown uh, the ability to make consistently at any point in his career when he's been out there. So not something that you expect to really be repeatable. Um, And then I think you see with the interception kind of more decision-making, right? I think was, was kind of the issue with that one. Like, yes, it was definitely made to look worse by Jalen Hurd kind of stopping on that route. If he continues across there, um, the defender almost certainly doesn't have, as clear of a chance to to kind of pick that ball off. But one of the things you have to do as, as a quarterback is confirm coverage, right? You can't just throw blind. And that's, so...
0: Honestly, that's one of the reasons why I thought this one was, in my eyes, a little worse than the Mullins one, because it was post-snap confirmation and he didn't get hit.
1: Yeah, so he's initially looking... So you've got a herd that's coming kind of from the right side of the formation, across the middle of the field. When he's initially dropping back and kind of at the top of his drop initially, he's looking off to... Uh, combination he's got on the left side and what happens he doesn't get what he likes over there and he just immediately snaps back to the middle of the field and throws instantly without having a chance to see what what is the safety that had dropped down the safety started high dropped down in the middle of the field is kind of that robber role and and was right there ready to go and if he's able to confirm that coverage he, he probably shouldn't have made that throw to begin with right so Yes, it was made to look a little bit worse um, because of what Hurd did, but it still wasn't a great process to lead to that throw anyway. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of what we've seen from these guys like throughout their entire career, right? Yeah. That We've seen them is like, yeah, there's some good stuff. If they can keep in rhythm and, and kind of get the ball out to their first look and, and Shanahan can scheme guys open, sure, they're fine. They're probably going to be able to move the ball decently enough. Um, but once you get to kind of some of those, you know, more advanced QB stuff, you know, your first look look's gone. Now I got to move off. I'm starting to get pressure. You know, I get something that takes me a little bit out of rhythm. That's when you see both guys kind of start to falter
0: a bit. Yeah. CJ Bathard blitzed 10 times his yards per attempt. 3.2, 3.2 yards. Not great, Bob. Yeah. That's, um, you know, that's three, three yards in a cloud of dust. Only your are throwing well, might,
1: it. might as well just hand it off at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Why Why would you? Why would you? Right. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the defensive scheme tweaks because we were excited to see what Joe Woods might bring to the table. Uh, of course, there's the wide nine to talk about. We covered a couple of those things on scheme month. So, we, you know, there's not a whole lot that you could glean scheme wise, but there were a couple nuggets that we thought were interesting. First, starting with the secondary, you have just kind of the split safety looks versus the, you know, interchangeable safety stuff. What does that actually translate to on game day? Well, you didn't have an increase in the number of split safety looks. It was still really, really low. It was seventeen percent in this game, which is you know kind of around their season average last year. Um, yeah, maybe what,
1: maybe like a tick higher, but nothing significant.
0: Yeah, nothing significant. Uh, but what you do have is you do have those the the starting in that split safety look and then rotating to the strength as opposed to just moving the strong safety to the strong side uh, on every play. So that is you know kind of what we hypothesized would happen with this whole interchangeable safety thing. And it seems like that's exactly the case. They're not actually just keeping Marcel Harris down low all the time. They're starting too high and then rotating based on the strength.
1: Right. And I think the, the thing that is a little different from what we were thinking it was going to be was that the, the rotation is a post snap rotation and all this. So I think kind of the way that we, we had looked at it um, was that they were likely still going to be a team that showed a single high safety at the beginning. Right. That was, what they did on the wide majority of snaps last season was you you got your one deep safety that's back there, right? Um, And what we were kind of suggesting is that, like, rather than having the same guy deep all the time, they might just move those guys back and forth, right, where you've got one guy deep on some plays and the other one down the box, and then they flip rolls um, on on some other snaps, depending on, you know, where they're setting the strength to and all that sort of stuff. Um, In this game, what they showed was, A lot of too high to start. So pre-snap look, I'm showing two high safeties deep. But then the majority of the time with that, they're dropping one down, whether that's dropping uh, the guy down to be kind of more that robber role in in man coverage um, or whether that's just getting down as like the hook player in cover three that they like to run. Um, So that was kind of, uh, I think, an interesting thing with as far as the safety usage goes. They did, though, one of the other things that we were looking for, use a lot more man coverage. 43% uh, of the time they were in cover one in this game, which is a... Big uptick from where they were at last year.
0: Yeah, you look at their cover three snaps and they were at twenty-seven percent cover three. Honestly, last year you would almost see that inverse. If anything, you would see the vast majority of cover three yeah. snaps. Um,
1: yeah, right about the inverse of that. Yeah, idea.
0: you yeah, and then you would see maybe twenty-seven percent or so cover one. This time it was slipped. Obviously, it's just one game, yep. but it's definitely something, and it's one game in the preseason, right? So let's sure. let's keep that in mind. But it's something to note, it's something to keep an eye on as we move through these games. If by the time we get to the third game we're seeing at the end of the third game, we see a similar kind of split in terms of cover one, cover three man coverage and rotating safety looks. It's probably safe to say that we're, that's probably what we're going to see come regular season. And while it's not a vast divergence from what they did this year, it's, I think, big enough to be notable. Right.
1: I think the, exactly. The the reason for me that it's notable is because a lot of times what you're seeing in the preseason is supposed to be kind of what is your base coverage, right? You're practicing you're you're just like basic stuff against someone else finally. So it's I mean these like are your, like
0: your day five installs, right? You've yeah. had you've had eleven practices so far over the course of like seven or eight days. There's not a lot of time to get to a lot of stuff. So this really is the base of your foundation.
1: Yeah. So you you're that's what, you know, usually teams mean, you know, when you when you hear like the vanilla oh it's vanilla coverages, vanilla defense, whatever it is, it's just kind of like that that base stuff that they think is this is kind of the coverage that we're gonna call most of the time, right? So if if Last year, we looked at it, it would have been almost certainly like a high, high percentage of cover three, right? That was their base coverage. That's what they're going to be in uh, on the majority of snaps. If suddenly now their base coverage is going to be more cover one and, and instead of cover three, I think that's a significant change, right? So obviously nobody's overreacting. to This is the one preseason game, but definitely I think an encouraging sign because they were, as was the case last year much more effective defensively in man coverage. They they certainly weren't perfect, but from an EPA per play allowed standpoint, significantly better when they were in man coverage compared to when they were in zone coverage in this game. So I think, yeah, just again, having guys that are, around the receivers and and nearby to make some of these throws a little bit more difficult, give them some tighter windows to try to throw into uh, is is a good thing for your defense.
0: And I don't know if that's a result of Joe Woods or if that's a result of self-scouting, but either way, I think it's a positive outcome because I mean, they were more effective in that coverage. And I think that coverage just on the whole in the NFL has proven to be a bit more effective. So I think that's going to be a really, really positive development, whether it be because of Joe Woods or because of self-scouting. Let's, let's get to the wide receivers. This is another area where, you know, Kyle Shanahan says he loves players that separate. And at this point, no one is separating. Oh, Double snap. entendre. <laughs> see what you did there. Uh, each player made some good plays, but not really anything that jumped out. Let's kind of go down the list really quickly. Richie James, uh, of course, he was unspectacular. He got a lot of snaps, a lot of opportunities. And honestly, I was surprised to see how many he got, especially early on. But with Trent Taylor's injury, makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, but I wouldn't yeah. say that, that Richie James did anything that, that completely jumped out if anything, I thought is kind of running after the catch was a little meh. But other than that, it, you know, it was like, okay, you're Richie James.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that was honestly, like I, I feel like I have mostly the same thing to say about nearly all the receivers with the exception of maybe uh, one guy that we can get to at the, the end there. But um, yeah, I think when you look at, you know, James and Pettis and Debo and Hurd, all of them on a, a kind of like route for route basis, right? Like, had some good plays for sure, like had routes where they were able to get some separation, like be able to win, even if the ball wasn't coming their way. um, And, and had even some uh plays where the ball did come their way, right. Where they were able to make positive things happen, but it, it definitely wasn't the kind of consistency I think you would like to see. And I think that's what kind of Shanahan's comments alluded to after the game was right. Like, I'm just not seeing it all the time. I get flashes from these guys, you know, on some plays, but it's just not there at the the consistency level that I really want to see it at. And that was kind of you know my takeaway as well coming out of this. I think you, you saw each guy. Uh, Debo probably had, I think, the most positive game to me. In, I would in say this that one, Debo but, to
0: me did have the most positive, yeah. but both in terms of the way the way he was able to catch that that kind of underthrown ball from. Uh, from CJ Beathard, but also based on his, his ability on that end around, I think, you know, he's, he's a, a really, really strong runner. And I think he showed a little bit of that on that end around. He had a lot of open space, but uh, he did show a little bit of that. And I think that his route running still looked uh, really, really uh, refined as compared to even someone like Jalen Hurd, because on that, on that deep route, for example, um, where he catches the, the long pass from CJ Beathard, they're actually running mirrored concepts on, on either side. It's a stop and go. Jalen Hurd is running the stop and go on one side and Debo's running it on the side where ultimately he makes a reception. And you can just see the subtle differences in the way they run the route. And while Debo does get the benefit of having, I think, a shittier corner on him, um, or at least a corner that tries to A corner to that jam- makes
1: a terrible mistake. <laughs> off Offhand jam, bro. You got to offhand.
0: Uh, ultimately, he ends up uh, just running a cleaner route, and you can see some of the differences yeah. there. Um, yeah, but- I mean,
1: gets a, gets a ton of separation on there. Like, I mean, wins at the line of scrimmage, even despite, I mean, part of the reason uh you know at least like obviously the the corner does make a terrible decision he, re, he he tries to jam with the wrong hand and and when you jam with the wrong hand you miss it it leaves you Unable to recover essentially, and, and so which gets, ones? Your,
0: which ones? Your offhand for the uninitiated.
1: Um So it, it's going to be the opposite hand from the one from where the receiver releases. So here, Debo's releasing to the outside. So you want to shoot as a corner your inside hand because that way, when I'm opening, I'm opening with the receiver and I'm getting my inside hand on him, and I can kind of ride him the direction he's going. If he goes outside and I shoot my outside hand, well, that's turning my body position inside, and if I miss it's over
0: because like now it, you're in a spin cycle. Yeah. You're, you're, you're literally just, in a spin cycle.
1: You, you've you, you have no way of, of quickly recovering from that position. So you always want to go with the opposite hand that the receiver releases so that you can mirror the receiver that direction and kind of stay on top of him. Um, and so, yeah, he gets that. But part of the reason he does look so stupid is because, you know, give obviously a little credit to Debo there as well for, for a good release um, really gets the, the last bit, like just at the corner thinks he's screwed and like, Trying to play catch up, but you get the little stop, and like that makes the corner like almost completely stop. Uh, thinking he got a break here, it was beautiful. and then yeah, it was great, and and then he leaves it under throw. And I think that was also a play too, that was nice to see from Debo because that wasn't a type of of throw or like catch that you see him make a lot in college. Right, he wasn't a guy that was necessarily a big downfield especially like contested catch type guy.
0: And that was the rap that that people had on him coming out of of South Carolina's everyone saying like, you know, oh, okay, he's a he's a slot guy. He's basically yep. running back playing wide receiver, you should throw him in the slot and that's that. And and when we did the the kind of preseason Eval on him, we're like, "No, this this guy can play outside." I mean, he yeah. this is he has that skill set. And I think that that catch goes to show exactly what it was that we were talking about. But let's go to um, you know, if if the preseason before you, you know, before daddy runs out for cigarettes and never comes back and, and you leave uh, once the, the regular wow. season hits and the preseason. Yeah, dude, I'm going to I'm going to keep hitting you with these uh, all, all for the next couple of weeks, man. Uh, and and ultimately, you know, we're going to talk about as much as possible. Two things, punters and Jalen Hurd, uh, the two of the three favorite things that David has in the 49ers. Currently, the third, of course, being running backs. I'm happy to talk about Jalen Hurd. Let's do it. <laughs> let's, do, let's talk about Jalen Hurd, because, yeah. of course, big story two two touchdowns. He had a lot of hype coming out of the game. Someone's already picked him up in our dynasty league. Uh, yeah, I saw that. They paid five dollars. The, the
1: same, the same guy that has like, uh, as a quick aside, has uh, like seven quarterbacks on his roster, and then drafted
0: one quarterback during the rookie expansion. Draft. During the
1: yeah, so we drafted initially. So it was a, it was a startup dynasty league this year, um, two quarterback leagues. So quarterbacks do have a lot of value, Super right? Um, should should definitely move them up. Grab a few of them. Um, grab six. You can't play
0: six. You can't even play four or three. He he comes from that Stephen Um, Jones personnel philosophy. He's like, you know what? If I just play all the linebackers, you can't identify the mic. Yeah,
1: he's like, he's the guy that's going off. Like the uh, you you look at you know if you look at somebody's like uh, like our own Jeff Ratcliffe at PFF, his two QB dynasty rankings. Right, you're going to see quarterbacks a lot higher on there, and that doesn't mean that you should just pick the next guy off the top of the list and ignore roster construction, right? Uh, anyway, so this, this guy's team is completely made up essentially of quarterbacks and then random fucking preseason guys that like stood out like that. He's got like waiver claims on, uh, his roster is terrible, but it's hilarious. And
0: you have a hundred dollar free agent budget over the course of the entire regular season. And he's now spent $5 on Jalen Hurd, Hurd. uh, 5% of his total budget. And, and yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, but Jalen Hurd, two touchdowns. Uh, Of course, let's first talk about the things that he did well. Uh, I think overall, uh, you know, and I've warmed up more so, I think, over the course of of the offseason to Jalen Hurd. I did think he had a a really strong and powerful run into the end zone. I don't think that he, that route in and of itself wasn't anything special. He was open, he caught the ball. I think his, which is not, you know, you're not going to rah rah about that. Um, but I do think that his ability to to move through contact, and get across that goal line, and get a touchdown is positive because i mean if he 's a big dude that 's what you would expect from someone like him, especially from the slot
1: a former like running dude back. actually played running back yeah, yeah. I, would, I would very much hope that he he 's capable of doing that um, exactly i absolutely. think that 's a
0: great skill set to bring to the table uh, and then of course, his second touchdown was something we didn 't see him do a whole heck of a lot, and i, I wouldn 't necessarily call that a contested catch. But it yeah, will... that corner wasn't wasn't about
1: contesting all a no, lot.
0: But it was, you know, it was very much a go up and get it kind of catch. And, and it's sure. not something that he showed off in, in college. And if I do think that if he can introduce that into his game, he can be a very valuable red zone weapon. Um, so I did think he did a couple of things well, um, even if it wasn't, you know, one of these super bonkers lights out performances.
1: Yeah, I, I think there were again absolutely some good plays. Um, you know, I think like you said, the after the catch bit on the first touchdown was probably uh, one of the best parts of it. Um, yeah, as far as the route, like that was open purely from like that's just like kind of their play action boot concept that they go to a ton. Um, he is open because just, he's like he's not getting open because of some great route that he ran. Right, he's just running to an area, and that area is free because of the concept that they're running. Um, and so like that part's great, made the catch and then yeah, the ability to get in the end zone and finish like awesome. Um, I think as far as the, the fade goes, I'm just like less, uh, like, I, I don't care about that as much as I think a lot of people do because even among the best receivers, it's still not a high percentage throw, right? So even if he becomes among the best end zone fade receivers in the NFL, it's still not something they should be doing very often because it's still overall a very low percentage throw so I think it's it's important not to overreact like yeah that play not trying to take anything away from him for that play but it's it's about looking at what is uh repeatable right what can you do take from this game that we can expect him to continuously do well um, going forward and I think you know stuff like the ability after the catch is definitely something you know that, that's a lot more reasonable to expect him to continue to do um, things like winning on the fade ball like it's just not a thing that really anybody does consistently.
0: Yeah, and to me, it's less about the thinking that now all of a sudden fades are going to be an integral part of the red zone offense. I I hope they're not. I've been out on fade since circa I don't know twenty twelve. Fade uh, the fade. Yeah, fade circa, fade. I, you know, Niner fans remember. They still remember. Yeah. Um, but I do think that just him being able to display something that he didn't necessarily do often in college and do it at least in one instance fairly well. It's like okay. If he's going to be able to add things and bolt things onto his game, if he already has some of that run after the catch ability, then, hey, you maybe you have someone who can get you some positive snaps in some areas, sure. especially when you've got uh, basically an ambulance full of players, uh, one of them being a slot receiver that is Trent Taylor. And he's got that Jones fracture, of course, um, which... It sounds so benign. It's, sucks, like, man. it's like a fracture of your pinky toe, but it's like the the bone below like it's right by where it connects to your foot, like near the top of your foot. Yeah. Um, and it's like super painful. Sounds terrible. Yeah, it sounds awful. But but yeah, but I mean if you're gonna have um if you're gonna need someone in the slot, then yeah, let's let's give it to someone who can succeed in space. Um and if Shanahan's gonna get him open, then let's see him bowl over some dudes.
1: Yeah. I think um again, there were definitely good plays. I think the thing the only thing I would say is like don't over like uh don't, don't give too much credit for the touchdowns. Right. Don't um like the fact that he got in the end zone, like the one play. Yeah. I think that was, that was a good play that had a lot to do with him. Um, another one's just like kind of the target location, right? They're down there. Yeah. Can you give him a shot? Like his plays, like that doesn't make the fact that those plays ended in touchdowns doesn't make them inherently better than say like a play like Debo Samuel had right down the sideline. Right. I, I would argue that that's a more skilled play even though it didn't result in points necessarily. Um, and, and so I think that's the only part there. I think overall, yeah, all, all four of those guys had pretty similar games and, and like again, won on some routes, even on, on stuff away from the target point. right? They, they had some routes where they got open, and then they had some other routes that, that they didn't, and they weren't as good on.
0: I did see Jalen Hurd piss off another defender, though, via his blocking, which I thought was funny. I don't uh, watch run plays. Yeah, I know. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> but yeah, he did. He, uh, he ended up going like a little bit after the snap, and the, the corner comes at him. And I mean, to his credit, he, he, maybe he learned a lesson from Shanahan. He didn't do anything, he didn't retaliate or anything. And, and the yeah. refs, you know, kind of broke it up, but no big deal. That's uh, all right, so let's get to Arrow Up, Arrow Down, the section where we talk about players who hurt their stock or <laughs> helped their stock and maybe end up getting a roster spot on the 49ers as a result. We'll first start with Arrow Up. There are going to be two players in this section and two players in the Arrow Down section. But before we get to Arrow Up and Arrow Down, let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. All right. First up and Arrow Up is going to be Najee Toran. Najee Toran. It wouldn't be our podcast. Is it? Not, I, was, I, 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 I wanted to go with Najee. Uh, it could be Najee. It could be. I don't know. There's a pronunciation guy. I want it guide. to be Najee. I'm, I'm, you know what? Let's, it's our podcast. We yeah. can do Najee. Yeah. Uh, Najee Toran. Najee Toran. Toran. Yeah. Najee Turan all right yeah Najee-Turan. this sounds
1: better right that it flows a little
0: I'm better. sure but I'm still gonna look at the pronunciation guide just in case uh, not, we're Najee- not gonna do that now <laughs> no but Najee Turan started at guard moved to center uh, I was actually very impressed with his reach blocks especially once he moved to center I thought he had a, a pretty solid game at guard but then he moves to center in I think the second quarter or even the second half and he actually is is playing very, very well there, and especially considering Weston Richburg, his injury, um, or the fact that Weston Richburg may just not be good anymore. Um, this is this is something that could be a really, really positive development for the 49ers.
1: Absolutely. They they need some interior depth for sure, right? They need, need, need some guys that they can have in there, especially as a backup plan in case of Richburg. Um, I think other side of the ball on the defensive line was probably uh, the guy that was most arrow up for me, um, Demontre Moore. So this was um, probably not somebody that, that I think a lot of people would be expecting a ton of just because obviously there are so many more high profile names on the defensive line, right? Obviously the big additions in Bosa and Ford, the guys that were already there that were first round picks, like it's, it's a deep position group, probably their deepest that they, they have by a significant margin. I think more as a guy, again, if they're going to go to this kind of like Philly style, heavy rotation, we don't want anybody playing more than, you know, 70% of snaps want to be able to go seven, eight deep there. I think somebody like Demontre Moore is, is, is with this type of performance could absolutely like crack that type of rotation. Right. And be one of those seven, eight guys that they go to. Um, he was for kind of some additional context. He was our highest graded, uh, edge defender in the AAF at PFF, um, before, you know, that the whole thing folded, which was great. um, As an aside, uh, but he came out in this game, and I think it was, uh, you know, overall like really positive. Had, uh, by far the most overall pressures, had three hits, three hurries, um, had a 19.4% win rate. So just how often is he beating the blocker that's in front of him? Um, that was the highest on the team in this game among guys that had at least 10 snaps rushing the passer. Um, so just overall, it wasn't the most necessarily like. Um, dominant, like impressive performance, right? As, as far as just like I'm, I'm whooping guys all game long, but it was just kind of consistent, steady wins, you know, a- affecting the the quarterback a little bit, affecting throws, and and like leading to some off target stuff. Um, got a, got a few hits in there again. So again, is somebody who would potentially be like your seventh or eighth pass rusher that you've got in this rotation. Like I think he's absolutely should be in that conversation.
0: So I looked it up. It is Najee. Yeah. Yeah. Najee. Najee. Good call, David. Good call. All right. So contrasting Demontre Moore with my arrow down player, and that's going to be Contavia Street. Because sometimes you've got Demontre Moore on one side and you've got Contavia Street on the other. And just the contrast (laughs) between the two is stark. Yeah. It is startling at times. Contavia Street, of course, fourth round draft pick of the 49ers. Uh, He assumes the the mantle of being on the all ACL team, even in a post Trent Baalke world. This is a player who you could even forget he was on the team because he did not play a snap last year. I did that. Uh, this year, indeed. He's back. And uh, so I- I'm watching the-, the tape, and I'm looking at the screen, and I'm like, oh, man, number 95. Oh, not a good snap. Oh, man, number 95. What are you doing? kind of rub my eyes. Tank Carradine, is that you? <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's Contavious Street. Uh, and look, Wake
1: me up from this nightmare.
0: Again, it's still early. It's one preseason game. There's still time. Right. So this is not going to be the rap on Cantavia Street forever. But at least in this one game, he did not do himself any favors. He played on both sides of the line, uh, both strong side and weak side. Didn't have a ton of success on either side. Got welcomed to the NFL real quick. <laughs> His first snap against Tyron Smith is uh, just, oh man, he is eating a, a face mask full of grass. Just, uh, it's bad. It's
1: not good. It was, it was so good. Highly encourage uh, you to go watch this. It's the very first pass uh, that the Cowboys threw in the game. And it's like he's trying to go this outside move, right? He he wants to basically be able to swat down Smith's outside hand and kind of use that to, to kind of shoot himself around the edge, right? Bend the corner. And Smith is just like literally playing with the dude. He He like stops at one point. And just kind of like waits for him to do it. And then he fakes it. So he shoots that outside hand. And as soon as he sees him go to swipe it, he just pulls it back. And so Street just hits nothing but air and like starts to, to tumble. And then Smith just basically tosses him to the ground. and It's over. Uh, it's, it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, it's, it's high level play from 50% of that dance. Uh, and unfortunately, <laughs> that 50% is not on the 49ers. So yeah, number 95, Contavious, uh. don't call me Tank Street. Speaking
1: uh, of play that wasn't so high level, oh, uh, man. The other side, uh, uh, going back to the offensive line, yeah. So really, really focusing uh, on the trenches here with arrow up, arrow down. Um,
0: Willie Beavers, uh, fantastic name. This guy, he, seriously, he might have the biggest delta between quality <laughs> of name and quality of play.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that is probably accurate. Um, not a great look for my guy in this game. Um, just just wasn't doing so well. Uh, amazed that this guy. So he was a fourth round pick uh, once upon a time from uh, the, I the saw Vikings. That. I was surprised. Um, that is yeah, startling. Um, so I think the the biggest thing with him is just clearly lacks the kind of athleticism that we're used to seeing. Um, from Shanahan offensive line, Obviously, in the run game, they want to be able to get out in space. Athleticism, um, important as a pass protector as well. So usually you see guys that can kind of move around fairly well, right? Guys that can redirect well, you know, once they get up to the linebacker level in the run game um, and, and stuff like that. Like, this guy is, is maybe straight out of, like, the, the Jim Harbaugh era. Like, he, can, he gets going in a straight line, but he is not moving off that path.
0: He is, and he looks super big. He does look a little bit like a less athletic Alex Boone. Like yeah, when you when you see like his a, size yeah. there at the guard position, like that's that's kind of what he's reminiscent of.
1: He's a large dude, and so you see like how that can kind of work in his favor, and then to his detriment, like on on two plays that he had on these outside zone runs. So right, one of them he gets up, and again he's on his track, and he is not moving off that track. And the first one that comes, this linebacker gets a little bit too close, like gets right into his path, and he just sends him flying like five yards back, like great block, like drives him completely out of the play, toss him to the ground. The next time this linebacker basically tries to go around him rather than just running straight into him and and getting tossed, um, you know, makes a move to get around him. And Beavers is just like completely like he just keeps going. Like he literally can't stop to, to try to like redirect and get a block on this guy. Um, so it was just rough there. It was, it was pretty rough in, in pass protection as well. Like, um, just had, had problems again, like redirecting to the inside when guys would go to their inside move. And so he gave up, uh, you know, a number of pressures there, got called for, I think three penalties in this game. Um, so it just overall was, was rough. He played left tackle mostly, um, had some time at right guard as well. Like, neither were good honestly no, like no was, but the guard
0: good. if you're going to if you're going to put him somewhere though it's got to be a guard if you're going to put him
1: somewhere it needs to be on the bench <laughs> like <laughs> you to put him somewhere it's like with the training staff uh, yeah. Oh, guard. God. I don't, he, he, sorry, my guy, like it's just a uh, security, not for gu- you. security yeah. guard, night watchman.
0: <laughs> That's the kind of guard <laughs> that you he go. needs yeah, bouncer. With, with a name like Willie Beavers. Uh, I think he'll do with the size uh, of the man. I think yeah. he'd be an effective bouncer Yeah, He basically tried to get both quarterbacks killed in, in two, on two separate occasions on, on one. And, and this is super unfortunate because it was a, a great, another great call from Shanahan. He calls his burner concept. You've got Kendrick Bourne running across the middle of the field. And, and the ball hits him in the hands and he drops it. But in the process, poor Beathard just probably... That was Mullins. That Mullins, one was Mullins, right. yeah. Mullins where he gets like his spleen exploded uh, on the way down. And then Beathard ends up getting a, a different hit. Uh, because he was, well, Beavers is out at tackle, uh, loses yeah. on the inside again and completely gets crushed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, is he's, he's just not someone who's going to be out there taking care of your quarterback.
1: Right. It, I think it like the, the way that I would sum it up is obviously like there was no offensive lineman in this game that you're hoping is going to be a starter really. Right. It was, it was the complete like second and third stringers, you're not expecting that to look great. So when a guy stands out as especially bad among that group, I think that's a problem. And that was kind of unfortunately what Willie Beavers was here.
0: Uh yeah, but you know what? The rest of the preseason we're gonna take every opportunity to say Willie Beavers as often as we can. You damn right. Yep, Willie Beavers. All right. Uh so let's get to our final segment then and that's gonna be first watch. We're gonna break down some of the rookies that jumped out during the game. Uh since maybe they didn't do enough to be on arrow up, arrow down, uh but We still wanted to spend a little bit of time chatting about their performance. And first up, of course, is going to be the man of the hour, one Mr. Dre Greenlaw. Uh, Of course, he's gotten a lot of buzz after the game. He is apparently challenging for a starting spot. Uh, He is pushing Malcolm Smith for that linebacker spot, which I think, again, would be great. Uh, Someone asked us, incidentally, why uh, Malcolm Smith wasn't on our surprise cut list from the mailbag episode. Because it it wouldn't be a surprise. surprise. (laughs) There are no
1: surprises. (laughs) <laughs> everything's expected no I think uh Dre Greenlaw like yeah I mean I would be great I like I surely hope that he can beat out Malcolm Smith and and uh and, and assume that role but I think in this game yeah I, I am not um ready I mean he's a guy that got a lot of hype through camp right so was somebody that I was looking forward to watching in this game and kind of seeing how he played because he was a guy that um we weren't super high on coming out of college right like his his college tape wasn't that good he wasn't overly athletic like there weren't a lot there from what you could just see on tape that that made you really excited about his game and so um, when he started getting all that buzz kind of through camp and, and throughout the offseason um, was somebody that was definitely excited to watch and so paid a good amount of attention to him in this game and I mean he was he was fine he was okay um, but I think there were, there were definitely some errors there, like busted a few coverages. One, um, that he had, you know, gets really pulled up by the play action, allows the the deep crossing route to hit over the top of him. Um, another one that he didn't pay for, which was in man coverage, where he kind of, um, bails on his responsibility essentially. And, and luckily for him, the quarterback kind of ends up getting pressured and isn't able to find the wide open receiver that that he left. And, and so that, uh, you know, kudos to him, I guess, for not getting that um, taken advantage of. But, yeah, just overall in coverage especially, like, didn't seem to be processing things super well. Like, uh, it was always kind of a beat late and and just wasn't always in the right spot that you would want him to be in in, in some of his zone drops. And so I think, yeah, like, there were some decent plays. He, he did have a few, um, you know, good plays mixed in there for sure. It definitely wasn't, wasn't all bad. But I, I think it's still, like... It's, it's where I would have expected a player like him to be if we didn't hear all of the buzz about him leading up to this game.
0: And I think that's that's exactly where I landed with him, too. Is I think that he, a little bit like the wide receivers, but I think on a more early stage level, he seemed very green to me. He seemed a little tentative, and and he made some good plays where he was able to. One is spe- specifically where he, of course, made that five-yard uh or he made a tackle for a five-yard loss. He read his key, exploded, and was able to get there pretty quickly. Um, but I think he still made some errors, he still made some mistakes that you would expect from a fifth round rookie in his yep. first, you know, kind of preseason action. The the hope I think is that you can continue to build on that, but that there, there's no guarantee that's going to happen. Um, you know, so I would say that this is this is positive in that he didn't look completely out of his depth. He didn't look <laughs> he, he's no Willie Beavers. Uh, But at the same time, he's not out there completely dominating and crushing second and third uh, string players like you would expect someone who is going to be maybe like ascending to a Pro Bowl in year one.
1: Right. I think the the contrast for me that really kind of was was pretty stark is so guys that were taken in, in a similar position in the draft. Had uh, somewhat similar concerns also as well. Like, um, neither quite produced at, like, an elite level um, and and both, like, didn't test super well either coming out. But um, was, if you look at Mack Wilson, linebacker from Alabama, um, ended up getting drafted by the Browns just a little bit after the Niners took Greenlaw. The the thing that you have to be, if you, so if you're not, like, the most athletic guy, right, if you're not going to win that way, you want to see guys that can process well. They need to be able to be efficient in their movement, be able to get kind of moving in the direction they need to be earlier than than maybe somebody else because their recognition is so good. And I think you saw it, like Mac Wilson, if you go back and watch a little bit of that Browns game, was incredible, um, just was all over the place in that game. Uh, made a couple, like, outstanding plays in coverage um, that that were just, like, really kind of eye-popping. And, again, these are guys that came out around the same time uh, in, in the draft, had similar concerns, like, and to see that sort of difference, right? Like, Mac Wilson, not somebody, I mean, obviously not following the Browns as closely as they do the Niners, but, but certainly not a player that I've, like, heard a lot about going into it uh, as far as, like, buzz goes. And you see that kind of stark difference in their performance, Um, And I think that's kind of maybe what makes me a little bit more down on Greenlaw. It's like, yeah, there's just clearly stuff that's still missing from him.
0: David Newman, you're telling me that you are not a lifelong Browns fan, despite the fact that you're sitting here wearing a Baker Mayfield t-shirt. Lifelong Browns fan. Yeah. 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 Typical. Just like most of the lifelong Browns fans. Absolutely. Uh, Actually, there are a ton of lifelong Browns fans, and they're all very depressed all the
1: time. Yeah. I'm not one of those. I'm only here for the good stuff. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Lifelong since 2019. (laughs) Uh, so next person on this list is going to be Aziz Alshair um, or Al Shazir. We're going to do this all the time. Al Shazir, uh, sure. Al-Shazir, Yeah. I thought he, I thought he actually played a comparable, if not slightly better game than Dre Greenlaw. Um, and, and I would say that he still had a similar eye-popping play where he completely decleated someone uh, on, I think it was a screen pass. And he is, though, a more athletic person. And that athleticism is going to show a little bit more, especially in these preseason games, because you don't have to make up for it with some of that processing speed. Even though I thought he did play with a pretty degree, uh, with a pretty good degree of processing for another person who, again, he's an undrafted guy. He's not someone who was heavily touted as, as a player, that, and he's not getting a ton of camp buzz. I think he's probably headed for the practice squad. But I do think that he's someone who, you know, when you're looking at their performances, I think comparable in terms of their output um, but for whatever reason, Greenlaw is getting a lot of buzz. Hopefully, that we we end up getting shown how that buzz is coming about over the next couple of weeks, and ultimately ends up putting Malcolm Smith on the uh, looking forward list.
1: Yeah. So the other guy that I was looking forward to watching that was kind of more late round rookie was Tim Harris, uh, the the cornerback that took in the sixth round. Um. So he was a guy that was was really athletic, um, but was kind of a little bit more raw, maybe a uh, technique wise. And that was kind of why you saw him fall as, as late as he did in the draft. Um, this game, I think was, I don't know. It, it was, it was, I think a little bit more encouraging um, because he didn't look completely terrible and out of his element, right? Like there, there were at least um, not many plays where he was just like, looked completely lost was getting torched for huge gains or anything like that. He definitely gave up like several receptions, right? Like, gave up uh positive plays but it, it, i think it the encouraging thing with him is he was at least like in the right area forcing usually at least somewhat difficult throws right by being um closer in coverage um and and again just like didn't look out of his element at all and so i think if, if there are some things that he can clean up there um technique wise like there was one play where he made a great break on the ball uh had a chance at an interception and and just kind of misplayed it and and didn't really track the ball that well Ends up going through his hands and and the receiver makes a catch, right? So little things like that that could have really shifted how we viewed his performance in this game. Um, if they if they would have went them, you know, more positive direction there. So I think, yeah, he's someone you know we'll continue to be watching you know, uh, throughout the preseason because the 49 Nineers do need just depth at that position, right? They need guys at corner, um, that that they can potentially have to plug in there if guys get hurt. And so he's someone
0: when guys get hurt, when guys get hurt, currently we're staring down the barrel of another Jason Verrett injury. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, who could have seen it coming, I guess,
0: but, Oh man, I'm so sad about that though. I'm really sad.
1: Yeah, I know. I was, I was looking forward to like, hopefully getting at least some healthy time with him. It's just not happening.
0: At least it happened early in the preseason, right? Um, hopefully, hopefully this is the one, right? Got our
1: hopes deflated nice and early. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just really took the wind out of it. Oh, God.
0: Uh, uh, all right. So the last one here on, on the rookie first watch is going to be Justin Skuel. Um I don't know that he, well, I do know he did not have a very, very good game. It wasn't Willie Beavers bad, but he definitely showed that he had. Willie Beavers is definitely the new Jordan Debbie. I mean, uh, in the, in the long With tradition, no tuba though. No, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> no, no redeeming no. qualities, but, but Willie Bieber's great name. Yeah, yeah. He's got a great, know, that's his redeeming. Quality. Yeah. You're that's, right. that's his redeeming quality. How could I forget? He, he plays music to your ears using another instrument, his name, uh, mm. but you got Justin Skule. He just is a rookie that absolutely showed he needs some seasoning at this point. He is, his technique is not super solid. He gets over his feet far too often um you know he gets defeated in a ways that especially from second and third stringers that you would hope w- weren't the case but again you have to remember this guy was what he was like a six round draft pick right um so yep. he's he's a developmental guy that definitely needs some development um did not super duper impress his first go around but you know what there's still time for him to develop you, you're hopefully you hope that he can do something year 1 but he i think is more of a longer term draft pick and and someone the Niners hope to put a little bit more development time into
1: yeah i think you know Practice squad probably makes the most sense for somebody like him. Like, yeah, yeah it, it wasn't. Um, he he wasn't necessarily a guy you were looking at in the late round that like is a steal, right? Like, oh man, how did how did he fall that far? And like, he might be able to come in and and be your swing tackle right away or something like that. Like, yeah, he's gonna need, like you said, a, a bit more seasoning and development. So I think, I ideally. If you're going to end up keeping him around, it's a, it's a practice yeah. squad
0: guy. And ultimately, I think the Niners, they do retain second waiver priority after cut down day because that's where they, we have they haven't played a game yet, right? So I think okay. waiver priority hasn't reset. But the ultimately, I think that's where they can probably see if something shakes free and maybe sign someone or maybe even trade a late round pick for someone like they did with Sean Coleman um, and, and hopefully end up getting some tackle depth that way because I, I don't know that... Um, I mean, I don't know that the attack from Miami they signed. Uh, what was his name? Ben? I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. Ben,
1: why. hope he doesn't get in the game. Because uh, if, if uh, either Staley or McGlinchey is out, that sucks.
0: Yeah, ultimately, I think that the Niners should try to make a move if something shakes free near cut-down day. Um, but, yeah, I think the overall, the I mean, I probably left. I probably shouldn't have been surprised, but I did leave the game worried about that offensive line depth.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, I, I was less worried because I think that's just literally a worry for every single team. Like, n- most teams out there, well, maybe not most, but there, a lot of teams are, like, struggling to just get their five, their starting five, like, in a decent spot, right? And, and not you look at teams like Houston, whose tackles are just, like, fucking terrible.
0: Um, Sam Young, not Ben. And, Sam Young. I just knew it was a monosyllabic first name.
1: Sure forgettable is, is what it was <laughs> forgettable name no willie beavers that one no he sure is not um, Willie beavers but yeah so i think you know when you when you come out with an offensive line that you know again you're hoping that not a single one of those guys are out there come week one you know when when things are, are k- kicking off for real there so yeah you kind of expect them to be bad and, and
0: struggle and, that, and that's what they were all right and finally first watch talk to me about punters david Why was Mitch Wisnowski's debut as a punter your favorite punter debut in all of punterdom?
1: You say this like I watched a single punt from this game
0: (laughs) or even a single special teams play. You're not going to talk to me about his coffin corner point. You're not going to talk to me about how that ball sweetly rolled out of the sideline inside of the 20. Um, I spent
1: 20 seconds, maybe not, maybe not even that. I took a peek at his grade. You're not
0: going to talk to me about I mean. how his hang time of like 4.4 seconds uh, wasn't even uh, in, I think like that's the top even
1: 17. Good, yeah. It's not even a good hang time.
0: Uh, Jake Bailey's hang time. He only, uh, Jake Bailey of course was the guy that everyone thought the Niners were going to draft in, in the fifth round. He had one punt in the preseason. for No. England. Who was
1: thinking that they were going to draft a punter in any round?
0: No. So it was a kick. Yeah. No, they, they actually, I'm pretty sure Mayoko and everyone was like, yeah, I think they're looking for a punter somewhere near the fifth or sixth round in the late round. But, Everyone show. thought it was going to be Jake Bailey. Uh, and his hang time on his one punt was like 4.9 seconds, uh, which is, that's pretty fucking, you know, good. no Michael Dixon, no. but you know, uh, he's not Australian. Fair. Yeah. Inherent disadvantage. Correct. Yeah. That's That's exactly right. Um, all right. So that about does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at better rivals, David, where can they follow you? It's going to be at PFF underscore David. One final note, as we wrap up the show, you will start to see another podcast on this same feed. It's going to be done by Kyle Posey. He's the editor in chief of Niners nation, and we're doing our best to try to get you some content throughout the week and maybe get you some more newsy type updates. Of course, you'll notice that the podcast was just, uh, it was just a shade under six or seven minutes long. So you might see more of those come through the feed. Definitely. Let me know what you think. Let me know your thoughts, whether that feedback be positive or negative. Uh, and we can figure out how to try to get you the best content on the feed. Uh, so, thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners.